0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Koopalup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Let me add my welcome to the team. It's my pleasure to continue our series, The Coming, looking at God's preparation through hope. And as we do each week now, Denise and Jeanette are going to come and show us the sign for hope. Thank you, ladies. Okay, well, it's an interesting time, I think, in our lives this year to be looking at hope, because the year that's 2020 is coming to a close, and I don't think many of us would say it's happened quite the way we thought it would. 2020 was supposed to be, you know, the year of better vision, the year of optimism, the year of doing things, going out into the world and accomplishing what we want to, but What's unfolded instead has just been one crisis after another, and not just in one area. Obviously, health and COVID has been a massive influence on our lives, but, and just broken out again in Sydney and threatening our situation here as, as a result. But we've seen environmental crises with uh, bushfires and floods and heat waves. We've seen uh, racial crises with Black Lives Matters and the clashes coming against that and just uh, the other week here in Australia, one of the big bash cricketers got slammed for uh, showing his respect standing up instead of kneeling down like everyone else and so these things continue to stir and agitate, we've had economic difficulties, our government has had to spend five times as much this year bailing us out of COVID that they did in the GFC a few years back Uh, They're having issues now at a governmental level with China and the unfolding crisis that's sort of been growing and growing each week from there. You know, things that we've been relying on in our Western culture are starting to show signs of cracks. You know, jobs and security and peace in the land, the laws of the land, personal freedoms, our health, these things are suddenly and seriously being undermined in a way we've not experienced for a long time here in the West. And it's starting to take a toll. The McCrindle Institute did some research recently and showed that the four primary emotional responses of people in Australia were anxiety, frustration, vulnerability, and fear. And as these emotions have started to overwhelm us as people, It started to fracture us across different divides in life. As we try and reach out for something secure and some sense of peace and hope, we align ourselves with different people and causes to try and have an anchor. In America, research is starting to show that there's been an exponential increase in what they're starting to now give the name Deaths of Despair. So things like uh, alcohol-related diseases, suicide, accidental drug overdoses, these are increasing at such a dramatic rate in America that uh, people are starting to get alarmed. And the scary thing for us in Australia is that we, although we're not showing the same trend now, we often follow the way America goes. You know, it tends to take some time, but we flow in the same direction as them. And so I think Billy Graham's words... Uh, a few years ago, still profoundly true for us today when he said, our world today so desperately hungers for hope, yet uncounted people have almost given up. There is despair and hopelessness on every hand. Let us be faithful in proclaiming the hope that is in Jesus. Because as Christians, we have the antidote to despair. We have the answer to this crisis of hopelessness that is setting in. But as 1 Colossians, uh, verse 23 says there, it requires that we don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. And so this morning we're going to go back to the beginning of the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Verse 1 starts this way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah... Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Mark starts his gospel with the birth of hope for the world realized. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And that word good news, evangelion, I'm probably butchering that, but good news, uh, gospel, was a word packed with meaning for the first audience of Mark. For the Greco-Romans, it was a word that they used when they sent, when the uh, government, the ruling officials sent out heralds, people who would run ahead to the towns and the regions and declare something that was going to come, and they would, it would be something like uh, a victory in battle had been won, or a new emperor had been born. And there's an inscription that we have today in an archaeological discovery that uh, comes from the time of Jesus when Caesar Augustus ruled Rome, and it's announcing his birth, and it says, the gospel, good news, hope for the world. And it's this idea that Caesar Augustus, it goes on to say, will come and bring salvation to the empire, will bring prosperity, and will bring peace. And so for the Greco-Roman first readers, they hear Mark say the good news and their attention is perked and they shift in their hearts. Maybe there's something else. For the Jews, it was used in the Old Testament to describe the prophets who would come and announce the good news that God would one day come and live amongst them again, that he would come and save them and usher in a new age of righteousness, joy and peace. And so Mark's drawing on these associations to say that's who this Jesus Christ, Son of God, is. He is the hope that is coming. And not just that, he goes on to say it's the hope that's been held out for a long time. He quotes Malachi the prophet who wrote 400 years earlier and ends the Old Testament. He quotes Isaiah who came about 400, uh, 800 years earlier. And what he's doing is showing his audience that Jesus Christ and Job the Baptist weren't accidents. They weren't mistakes. They were part of a long-held plan from God that he'd put in place really since humanity first got themselves in trouble in the Garden of Eden. Because we read in Genesis 3 that once Adam and Eve had sinned and allowed evil and darkness to enter into the world... God says to the tempter who sparked it, someone's going to come and crush your head. And he started to birth this hope in humanity. And he kept stirring it every moment from then on, down through every generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the people of God, constantly has to stir up hope because the people keep walking away. They keep losing that thread of hope that he's cast in their hearts. But Mark says... This hope is now here, Jesus Christ. And so there's something important for us to understand about uh, biblical hope, as Denise and Jeanette beautifully pointed out, because we use that word hope today to mean something more like wishful thinking. We say it when we mean that we want something to happen, but we don't know if it's going to go that way. We say, I hope it doesn't rain next weekend. May or may not. I would say, I hope the Dockers win the grand final next year, but without much assurance of that. I might say, I hope I win the lotto. It's difficult when you don't enter it, but I, if I was to say, I hope I win the lotto. And uh, for those of you who think that's more likely than the Dockers winning the grand final next year, just cast that thought aside, please. But well, There's a story about two identical twins who were alike in every way except one. One was a hope-filled optimist who only ever saw the bright side of life. The other was a dark pessimist who only ever saw the downside in every situation. The parents were so worried about these extremes that they took their boys to the doctor. He suggested this plan. On their next birthday, give the pessimist a shiny new bike, but the optimist only a pile of manure. It seemed a fairly extreme thing to do, but they decided to take the doctor's advice. When the twins' birthday came, they gave the pessimist this most expensive top-of-the-range racing bike that any child had ever owned, and when he saw this bike, his first words were, I'm probably going to crash and break my leg. To the optimist, they gave this carefully wrapped box of manure, and he opened it, looked a little puzzled at first, but then ran outside screaming with joy, you can't fool me where there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) It's just this... You know, naturally, each of us probably tend to be one type of person or the other. We're either pessimistic and everything's gonna, you know, there's a silver lining of of doom and depression around the corner. Even when we experience something good in life, we're kind of waiting for the next bad thing to come. And then there's other people on the other side who just see everything sunny. They're the most annoying people in the world. (laughs) Everything's good, everything's hopeful, everything's possible. But this isn't biblical hope. Biblical hope is grounded in the reality of who God is. It comes from God and it comes with this assurance that he never lies and he never fails and he never forsakes his word and his promises are always true. This is hope. It comes from him. He is the source of hope. He is the fountain of hope for each and every life on this earth. 1 Peter 1 says, God, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans fifteen thirteen says, it's our God of hope who enables us to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that. It's the overflow of the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to each one of us when we say yes to Jesus. There's a supply of hope that is possible every moment of every day. One commentator defines it this way, Christian hope doesn't ignore fear, anxiety, or doubt. It confronts them. It holds steady, clinging to peace in the midst of chaos through life's many treacherous storms. Christian hope is buoyed by something greater that has happened and something greater that is going to happen. We find an illustration of this in Psalm 62, 5, when David says, my soul finds rest in God, my hope comes from him. And that word hope in the Hebrew literally means that we in the English interpret it hope, but for the Hebrews, it means rope. It means an attachment or a cord. And so it's the idea that God is this source of hope and he throws out the cord and he attaches himself to us. And for as long as we've got this hope, we're attached to God. We're one with God. We're connected and we can't, and the idea is to wrap that hope around us. Wrap it tight and never let it go. The question we all have to face is, have we caught it? And if we say yes to that, then the next question is, are we still holding on to it? Because Jesus, I mean, the, the Lord, God, through Jesus as the hope, never lets go of his end. He's always holding on, holding out tightly, this hope ready and available for you. But it's up to us whether we hold on to it, whether we keep it firmly within our grasp. And the question that often comes is, is that hope still within me? Do I still know? I once knew the hope of God. I once had this sense of a better future for myself. But do you still have it today? And it's important we look at this because as we return to the passage in Mark, we see that that as we suffer and as we burn out And as we face temptations that feel overwhelming, our hope in God can fade. We can let that rope begin to slip through our fingers. Our grasp loosens or we look away and don't notice that it's still there attached to us and that God's still holding on. It needs reviving. And so we see this in John the Baptist coming. He had to come to revive the hope of the Jews. We read there in verses 4 and 5 that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him. And so John had to come because the promises that God had gave them through the prophets were hundreds of years in the past. Their memories were dim as they faced the trial of the day, and that trial of the day had been hundreds of years of oppression under the rule of the Greeks and then the Romans. And every time someone from within their people had tried to liberate them, it would ultimately fail and end in bloodshed and hurt and pain. As this new sense of hope, you can imagine in their shoes as someone arose and then failed and, you know, the hope would eke out of you. And God's sense of his presence there would fade. You know, it was a time where for 400 years they hadn't had an anointed word from God. The prophets had not been there. No one was there to say, this is the way there to go. So what had arisen in their place was religious leaders who gave a strict interpretation of the law and said, follow this or you're missing the mark. And it was impossible for them to maintain that standard and I hesitate to say this, but I think in the 20th century, Christianity went to this sort of direction as we lost the hope of, the, of the God and the Holy Spirit within us, we started to apply a strict moralism that no one else could attain. This is what the Jews were facing at that time. And it would have felt like God wasn't there for them, that he wasn't hearing their cries for help, that his promises, whilst they knew they were there, were too far away to be real for them in that moment. Their hope was fading. So God in his mercy, knowing that Jesus is coming and that he doesn't want anyone to miss him, sends John the Baptist to revive hope and to prepare them for the hope that's coming. And he does this through John saying, confess and repent. You see they're confessing their sins and receiving the repentance or the forgiveness of sin. Confess is just to acknowledge your need. is just to say, yes, I put my hand up. My hope is fading. I have no strength within myself. I need you, God. Becoming aware of your need, of your hopelessness, and to stop placing it in things that are fleeting and temporary. Turn back from despair. Repent means to turn back or return. So you can hear him saying, stop despairing, stop failing to trust in God, hope is at hand. This is why John comes and he preaches for the people to turn and all of them come out to him and they receive this message. But there's something important for us in this too because everyone came out to Jesus as well, but only 12 followed him in the closeness of relationship. It's easy to do the first step. You know, we often, when we get to the end of ourselves and we we agree, "I I need something more. Nothing's working. I need God. But then, you know, the next step is saying yes to Jesus, not just yes to Jesus in one moment, but every day it's a yes to Jesus that we make sure we don't miss out on him. Why? Because he is hope fulfilled. And we see this in John's message in verses 7 and 8. He says, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the answer you're seeking is on its way. I'm the messenger of but he is the message. Hope is a person. Hope is God himself, something that can never be taken from you, shaken, or fail. Don't miss him. He is hope fulfilled, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love the way that John in the New Testament talks about this Baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that word baptize means to completely cover you, completely submerge. It's why when we baptize with water, we dunk you right under, give you a good clean and then bring you back out. Because the idea is that God doesn't hold anything back from you. He doesn't just sprinkle a little bit of himself. He doesn't just give you a drop or two. Everything that is him and belongs to him, he gives to us through Jesus. It's complete. It's total. It's entire. This is why 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. John says, I'm not even able to be a servant capable of untying his shoes. You know, the job of undressing your master's sandals in their culture was the lowest of the low of the jobs that any servant could ever do. John says, I'm not even worthy to do that job. Jesus is the one, the hope we've all been waiting for. And he will completely envelop you in God and in the spirit of God. Jesus is hope fulfilled. He's the conqueror over sin and death. He's the miracle worker with power to transform the world around us. Not just an eternal life, although that's there and will come, but there's also the power to transform the world around us through his presence in us permeating the world around us. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven for a reason. It's not just a hope of the future, although it is but it's a hope to be encountered and realized and manifest for the world around us now. Jesus is the guarantee that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. It's important to make the distinction here that it's not that he guarantees us an easy life or a comfortable situation day after day, but it is that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear evil. We don't need to worry, easy to say, much harder to do, and I don't pretend that this isn't a battle, but hope is at hand. So as we draw to a close, as we approach Christmas this year, as we look towards the end of 2020, a year of difficulty that's been, uh, let me ask you this, where are you looking for signs of hope, signs of a better future, signs of something to get you out of bed in the morning. Where are you looking for that hope? Is it in a political party or a a political leader or a government? Now I say this with trepidation because I know opinions on this are wildly variable. But it's concerned me that there seems to be or has been a tendency to hope in a Donald Trump or a Scott Morrison as Christians. That we think he is... Our savior, And I'm not making a comment on whether God uses them or not. My comment is that if our hope is in them alone, then we're going to go off a cliff. Because as we're seeing with Donald Trump, it's very likely, if not sure, that he's not going to be in power anymore. And so the hope that we were basing everything about Christianity in the world is suddenly going to be snuffed out if it's Donald Trump alone. Where is our hope? There's gonna be a. <laughs> There's gonna be a. Uh, <laughs> some of you may be tempted to come and talk to me about my views on Donald Trump after the service. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not that I have any particular. I, honestly, I, I couldn't care less about Donald Trump himself. My issue is what we do with these things. Where is our hope? If Donald Trump losing power, shook you as a person to your core, then there is a problem in my personal view. I might be wrong, but please understand my heart. Our hope is not in a person. It's in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, God uses Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, Donald Trump, quite possibly. I don't know that. I don't have the privilege of divine revelation on that one. But I do know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the hope for you and for me. Maybe your hope is in a COVID vaccine. <laughs> I hope not, because even if we get through COVID alive, you know, we're just a breath on this earth. Any, we can get hit by a bus tomorrow. There's so many people journeying with serious illnesses that have nothing to do with COVID at the moment. Our hope has to be more in the strength of, in our bodies and the health of our our bodies? Are you hoping in a new relationship or that one that might come? Are you waiting for that person who's gonna rescue you? Is your hope in a job opportunity or success or some sort of situation that hasn't yet resolved working out the way you want it to? I've talked to a lot of people inside and outside the church lately, And there's just a general sense that hope is taking a battering. And there's many different reasons for that. It's causing a weariness and a tiredness, uh, both among the people of God, but also in the general community. And there's many different reasons why that might be. Some are genuinely going through circumstances that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Some are struggling and wrestling with, uh, temptations and sins that they can't just seem to get themselves out of. Others just don't know why. And you might resonate with this. You just feel ugh, just like the energy is sapped from your life, that each day is a struggle. There could be many different reasons for that. But I think part of it, it's symptomatic of the, of the year we've been through. All of us, as a society, we're weary of one problem after another. We face a spiritual enemy that tries to yank that rope out of your hands every day of your life. We can choose not to see it, but it's a reality. We're facing a crucial time, I believe, personally, as believers, individual believers, but also as a church. Will we hold on to the rope? Will we keep our hope in God firm no matter what comes? It's important to say, too, that God doesn't ask us to fight, to struggle, to psych ourselves up to some sort of feeling of hopefulness, to blind optimism. He simply asks you to keep hold of that rope. Don't let go. Don't let go. I've got you. It's always there for you. Just hold on. Hold on to the rope. The night is always darkest before the dawn. And just from a corporate perspective, it should give us encouragement that uh, through the week and and last couple of weeks, we've had a number of prophetic words come from people in this place and beyond the four walls, uh, Christian leaders across the world, encouraging us, particularly here in Perth, that a, a prophecy given by Smith, a hundred years ago, that revival would come to Perth and it would spread from here out to the rest of the country and beyond the shores. We're entering into that time. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn and the world is pretty dark at the moment. But Jesus is hope fulfilled and God is in the business of revival. Revival of the heart Revival of the person, revival of your circumstances, your situation. He cares and he comes. I'm going to close today with the story of uh, a man named Horatio Spafford. Some of you will know this story well, but Spafford was a successful attorney. Uh, He had a big real estate portfolio, but he lost a whole uh, heap of his fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Not long after that, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever, and then he suffered another loss in his business interests in an economic downturn in 1873. A short time later, he planned to travel to England with his family to help the famous preacher D.L. Moody with his upcoming evangelistic campaigns, but in a late change of plans, he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him on a ship to England while he remained home to settle some pressing business. His plan was to join them once everything had been finalized. But while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, their ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. It cost 200 people their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. His wife, Anna, managed to survive the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent him a telegram saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. And at one point during his voyage and this part gets me every time the captain of the ship knew that of the particular place where his family's ship had gone down, and he told Horatio as they came to it, "This is where your children were lost." The Spafford spends the morning, the moment, in that place, in what represented the darkest place on the planet the darkest moment in his life, he thinks and reflects on his daughter's loss and he's suddenly moved with comfort and hope. And these words come to him. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. He wrote those words down in the rest of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, that we sing often and will do in a moment. But this Christian man lost everything, everything that mattered to him as he was serving the Lord. And there's a mistake to think that just because we're with God, that we're protected from life's brutality. But in that very moment that was the darkest point in his life, he, sit, he writes this line in the song that I just want to mention as we close. "O oh, voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. It's that hope that God has for you and for me. It's that hope that God offers us in the darkest valleys, on the mountaintops and everywhere in between, in the mundaneness of life. There is hope fulfilled in Jesus. And it's this hope that He wants our world to know, our suburb here in Kublap and the areas. He wants your friends, your family, your work colleagues. He wants it to them to see and know it for themselves, experience it, and through us, we help make that possible. Let's pray together and ask. That the Lord bless us with fresh hope this morning. Lord, we come before you now and confess that so often we seek hope in all sorts of things and then only come to you as a last resort. And when our circumstances change, we let go. Lord, we don't want to be like those Jewish people who came to you and heard your teaching and saw your miracles and were perked with interest, but then let you go. They returned back to their normal lives. They didn't hold on to the rope that you hold out. Lord, we can't drum up hope. There's nothing I can say of 10 rules we can do to have hope. All we can do is simply come to you afresh. Confess and turn and say, Father, we need your hope again. We need you. Our world needs you. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your hope upon us this morning? Would you revive hope in our hearts? Would you awaken us to what is real and true in you. Lord, there's a plea in my heart for this prayer. Please, please fill us with your hope again. Anoint your people to be a people of hope. For those who are really struggling at this point in time, Really struggling. Their circumstances feel and seem hopeless. Lord, restore your hope. Draw near to them. Touch their hearts. Flood their hearts and minds with hope. You are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name. you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.